You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. When a member retires, they may have significant amounts of unused leave, including annual leave and long service leave. Now, in these situations, a common question we get is whether they should take those payments as a lump sum or actually take it as leave. Now, I'm Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss this interesting issue and the strategies around this is Tim Sanderson, one of my senior technical services managers. G'day, Tim. Hi, Craig. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thanks. Now, we're going to be discussing leave payments on retirement. So a really important thing to to think about here is we're not talking about leave payments as part of a genuine redundancy. We're actually saying someone's got to the point where, hooray, hooray, we're retiring, and it's just the payout for any unused or uh, annual leave or unused long service leave in those kinds of situations. Now, there's a couple of really interesting angles here. So we can think about this from a super perspective. We can think about it from a tax perspective. Also, when you think about it, people are retiring. They may become entitled to the age pension on retirement. So we should also think about um, whether we should be taking these payments as a lump sum or income stream from a social security perspective. Now, if we start off with super first, Tim. Now, I think it's Would you agree it's reasonably well understood and accepted that um, where we've actually retired uh, and someone is uh, looking to take their unused leave entitlement, so once again, annual or unused long service leave, then I think it's reasonably understood that uh, if we take that as a lump sum payment, then we don't get any super guarantee on that amount that we're receiving. However, if we actually take it as leave, so instead of me retiring, let's say on you know, the 1st of April, if I've got four weeks worth of annual leave owing to me, um, and instead I work that four weeks notionally, but I take it as annual leave, so I'm getting paid during that period, and then I retire, for example, on the 1st of May, so I've I've received that unused uh, leave as salary as income, then I think it's understood there that uh, you will actually get SG on those amounts. But the question is, why? Can yeah, that's right. That? That's right. Yeah, and it, it comes down to really the definition of ordinary time earnings for super guarantee purposes. Um, that's really what an employer needs needs to pay super guarantee on. Now, where we say we receive a we terminate employment and receive lump sum leave payments, they're specifically excluded from being ordinary time earnings. Um, in in contrast, and so SG wouldn't be payable. In mm. contrast, where we um, take leave instead, and I always like to think of this as 
when you take a period of leave, you're not receiving leave payments throughout that period. You are just on leave while you're receiving your ordinary pay. Now, yeah. that, that would be ordinary time earnings while you're receiving that pay during a period of leave that you take. And so that would be subject to super guarantee in the same way that your ordinary pay would be if you're there physically working. Now, Tim, I'm going to ask you for a simple example, but before I do, I will just make people aware that we actually have written an article on this topic titled Leave Payments on Retirement, Lump Sum Versus Taking Leave. So this explains all these rules and gives examples in quite good detail. But Tim, um, it's a podcast. If you go into great lengths of detail, for an example, people get a bit lost. Can you give me a really simple high level example of the difference that they can make? Yeah, so very high level example. We've got Larry here considering retiring now, earns $2,000 a week and has six weeks worth of annual leave. So Larry's got the option of retiring now, a lump sum leave payment of $12,000, no super guarantee because it's not ordinary time earnings. The other option would be Larry goes on six weeks of annual leave, gets paid $2,000 per week and super guarantee of 9.5% or $1,140 would apply for that six-week period. So extra $1,100 odd dollars of super guarantee by going on leave rather than the lump sum payment. So I suppose another important issue to consider there is just whether the employer will allow you to take that leave, I suppose. I mean, an employer has is entitled to deny someone the ability to take leave. Um, they could simply be saying, well, I know you're retiring and if you're going to take this leave, I've got an SG liability owing on it. So no, I'm not letting you take the leave. Is, is that something that they can do? Yeah, look, I guess uh, that, that may happen from time to time, uh, whether someone may uh, not make that final decision to retire until the end of their leave period is probably a, another question. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. You could just simply say, well, I'm taking all this leave uh, and then giving notice of retirement. I suppose in that situation, you might need to, to work out your final four weeks or your notification period, whatever that is. But I suppose in that situation, you've you've taken that that unused leave now as salary and wages, so you've ensured you've got your SG on it. Okay, so I suppose that leads into a taxation discussion then. Um, so in terms of if we're going to take these payments as either a lump sum or uh, as actual leave entitlements, so just normal salary and wage payments, um, what are the tax differences there? Because they're both just forms of income. That's right. So they're, they're both assessable income with the exception of some very old long service leave pre-1978. Um, only mm-hmm. 5% included there. But the general rule is lump sum leave payments are assessable. Uh, pay that you receive when you go on leave is assessable as well. But probably the, the first point to make would be, again, if we're looking towards the end of a financial year, if we have a lump sum leave payment and we retire now, it's all going to be assessable in that first financial year. Whereas if we go on a period of leave, we may be able to spread the assessable income across those two financial years uh, and lower the tax bill overall, particularly because in that second year, um, there may be very little other assessable income because we're, we're, we're retiring. And so the marginal tax rate might be significantly lower. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I suppose if you are retiring at the end of the year, 
then you've got all your salary and wages already earned. So, you know, maybe you're earning someone, let's say $120,000, and then you go and get an extra $40,000 worth of unused uh, annual or long service leave payments. That $40,000 sits on top of that hundred and twenty, dollars so you're going to be exposed to quite high tax rates. But if you, uh, if you take some of that leave in the new financial year, then once again, that's, that's a new financial year. So that leave you take in that second year is now assessed probably against the, the tax-free threshold of $20,000. That's right. And so probably, again, a very high-level example. Um, if we've got Paul who's considering retiring on 1 May 2021, he earns $3,000 a week. Uh, and he's got 15 weeks of accrued annual leave. Um, and I won't go through all of the numbers, but by going on leave and putting seven weeks worth of that leave period into the next financial year, Paul's able to save about $8,200 overall compared to just receiving that lump sum leave payment in that first year. So that's really interesting. So when when you take that a little bit further... Because one of the issues that we see is when people um, potentially go through a redundancy or they're retiring and they're getting these lump sum payments, these lump sum payments can push people up and over that dreaded Division 293 tax threshold of $250,000, can't they? That's right. And um, yeah, even if someone's normal remuneration may not be up near the $250,000 threshold, Receiving a large leave payment or other payments, accessible payments upon termination can add to that in the year of retirement and push that person over that 250000 threshold. Yeah. Which and that, that, and that oh, look, sorry to cut in there, but I think that, I know that that's the way it works, but it does seem a bit unfair, doesn't it? That you've got someone that's maybe accrued all of that unused long service leave over, let's say, 10 years. Um, and then we're including it all in their assessable income if they take it as a lump sum in the year that they actually receive it. I mean, that's just the way the tax system works. But um, what I suppose I'm saying out there, saying there is you've got to really watch out for, for those people on reasonable levels of income that are not currently subject to Division 293 tax. If they do have a large lump sum payment uh, owing to them because they've, you know, they've accrued all this unused uh, long service leave and, you know, they're getting to retirement thinking, great, I'm going to get a cash out for all of that. That could have a negative impact on them because it pushes them over that 250 threshold and all of a sudden they're having to pay an extra, you know, maximum 15% on their, their concessional contributions. That's right. And again, a strategy here would be uh, if retirement is looking like near the end of a financial year, potentially looking at taking that period of leave uh instead of receiving it as a lump sum and spreading that assessable income over two financial years. Uh, And that may allow someone to uh, ensure that they remain below that Division 293 income threshold in both those years rather than potentially exceeding it in that first year. Wow. So I could imagine that that could potentially make quite a bit of difference in tax. Yeah, just looking at the entire uh, normal concessional cap, of $25,000 being being subject to Division 293 tax in that first year, that's an extra $3,750 in tax. Wow. Wow. So really important to keep that Div 293 threshold in mind. So, you know, once again, we talk about the, the difference in terms of taking these payments as lump sums or, 
as actual leave payments. Now, if you've, if you've got the opportunity to spread those leave payments over two years, um, that could really be effective because it, it avoids you your income in that one year being pushed up and over 250 for in relation to in reality leave payments that have accrued over 10 or 15 years whatever the period is um, all of a sudden counting as income in one year but if you can spread them out over two years you might uh, you might scrape in below that div 293 threshold um, another issue here i suppose when i think about it is when people retire it's not uncommon for the employer to pay out a golden handshake so uh, you know, for Tim to retire and I say, great work, Tim, couldn't have done it without you. Here's an extra 40 grand uh, payment as a golden handshake to thank you for your all your hard work that's helped to contribute to the success of this business. Now, what, what happens there? Because I'm thinking that uh, if I take these payments as a lump sum, and I'm receiving what they call a non-excluded payment now. So rewinding into um, redundancy payments, is this is where most people think about how these rules work, but it's any sort of employment termination payment, which could include on retirement. Um, if I'm receiving a non-excluded payment, which is typically those payments that I would be entitled to on, on voluntary redundancy, which is exactly what's happening here for this golden handshake, or generally all golden handshakes, uh, non-excluded payments, then I'm subject to that both that ETP cap and the whole of income cap. Now that whole of income cap is set at $180,000 less. One of the things that reduces that is your taxable income in that year. Is that right? That's right. So uh, if we receive a golden handshake upon voluntary retirement in that first year, uh, it's subject to the ETP cap and the whole of income cap. And in many cases, the whole of income cap will be the one that will apply. And what that says is that uh, any part of that that exceeds any remaining whole of income cap you have is taxed at the top marginal tax rate. Um, and that remaining cap is $180,000 less your other taxable income for the financial year. So again here, there's a potential strategy in if we're retiring near the end of a financial year, uh, quite a difference between receiving that termination payment um, with the termination date being in that first financial year and your remaining whole of income cap being reduced by potentially large amounts of taxable income in that first year versus going on leave, taking your termination date through to early in the next financial year where you don't have large other amounts of employment income, and then potentially having a much larger remaining whole of income cap in that second year, and potentially much more of that golden handshake, for example, concessionally taxed rather than being taxed at the top marginal rate. So when I think about that, Tim, so if I, let's say I've got salary and wage income of $100,000, uh, and I also then go and receive a lump sum payment for, let's say, unused long service leave of $80,000 and, and then also receiving, let's say, a $40,000 golden handshake. Then when I think about the taxation of that $40,000 golden handshake, I'm looking to apply the lesser of the ETP cap or the whole of income cap. Now, when we calculate the whole of income cap, what you're telling me there is what I start off at $180,000 and then I deduct off any other taxable income I've got. So in that situation, if I'm taking this lump sum payment in the same year as all my salary and wage income, 
Then I've got salary and wage income of $100,000. I've got uh, a lump sum payment for unused uh, long service leave of $80,000. Therefore, my whole of income cap is gonna be $180,000, less $180,000 giving me zero, which would mean then that the full amount, that full $40,000 worth of golden handshake payment is gonna be taxed at the top marginal rate of 45%. That's that's right. And so a potential strategy there would be uh, go if, uh, term or if retirement is intended to be late in a financial year, uh, potentially going on a period of leave at least through to early in the new financial year and the whole of income cap rule would then apply on termination in that year and that would exclude all of that salary and wage income. There might still be a part of that lump sum leave payment which is accessible to the extent it hasn't already been taken. Um, but in that case, um, less than $80,000 worth of assessable leave payments. The remaining whole of income cap is going to be $180,000 less that, so at least $100,000. And so that $40,000 golden handshake is all going to be within the whole of income cap and therefore concessionally taxed. Wow. So I think we've got an example in the paper there as well. What was the, the tax saving in that particular situation? Uh, so the tax saving for Tony in this case, and you can read through that uh, that in the article, I think uh, he was in a situation where he was receiving a golden handshake of $80,000. Um, mm-hmm. And in his situation, just by taking some leave to get through to retiring early in 2021-22, he was able to save $24,000 in tax and Medicare levy just by taking that period of leave and moving the termination date into the following financial year. Wow, that's, that is really quite significant and, and really could help his, his retirement funding. Um, so that's interesting because we've, we've kind of talked about, um, you know, lots of benefits to think about from taking these payments as actual um, salary and wage income as in the form of leave payments instead of a, a, as a lump sum payment. So should I always take leave or are there any traps here? Yeah, look, there, there can be some tax concessions for lump sum leave payments. And uh, while we're not discussing redundancy uh, in this, um, it is important to know that those concessions can be larger uh, in situations where termination is due to redundancy. But where termination is due to retirement, um, then as we mentioned before, lump sum leave payments are accessible income, um, with the exception, as I mentioned, of some very old long service leave. But uh, where there is annual or long service leave that has accrued prior to 18 August 1993, so it won't apply to many people, but to some people it will, then that part of the accessible lump sum leave payment um, actually qualifies for a tax offset that ensures that 30% is the maximum tax rate that can apply to that part of the lump sum um, plus Medicare levy. So in some situations where there is pre-1993 leave as part of the lump sum, then a lower effective tax rate may apply to that part of the lump sum compared to taking it as a, uh, compared to going on leave and receiving pay um, in return for that leave. Right, okay. All right, I I think we're mostly picked up most of the issues. It's interesting, is it, when you come back and think about, you know, should I be taking this as a lump sum or or income stream payments? Most people focus on that 
on that SG difference, but there's actually quite a lot here. Um, what about social security? Where a client, for example, is, is paid while taking a period of accrued leave prior to retiring, that is going to be accessible income for social security purposes in the same way as, as the, the person's ordinary pay. Um, but I guess it's important to note where we're talking about a person who's reached age pension age and they're receiving age pension already, for example, um, then the, the work bonus can apply to both their salary and to payments they receive while they're on leave. And that can reduce the amount of accessible employment income by $300 per fortnight or potentially more due to accrued work bonus amounts. Um, right. so, so potentially a lower amount can be accessible income. Yeah, it's, it's funny to think about someone that um, actually hasn't retired yet receiving age pension, but I suppose it just comes back to, I suppose in, in some situations there you might have people you know, over the age or age pension age, so that's going up to, to 67, so whatever their respective age pension age is. But I suppose you could have someone in that situation that they've been working their whole life and they've actually transitioned into retirement, um, maybe dropping their, their level of employment down from full-time to part-time, maybe they're doing one day a week. And in that situation, even though they haven't fully retired yet, um, they are actually eligible for, for full or part pension, I suppose, depending on their level yeah. of assets and income. Yeah, and uh, probably a more common situation is where someone is working and will then, when they stop, claim the age pension. Um, yeah. Where that is the case, then salary and wages, including payments while they're on a period of leave that they receive prior to retiring and claiming, then they're not going to be counted as income. Uh, well, they're not going to impact on the client's age pension because that income's been received prior to claim. Right, okay. Now... Lump sum payments pre-retirement create an income maintenance period, don't they? So if I've, uh, let's say I've been made redundant and I get a, a payment, a lump sum payment for unused annual annual leave, for example, or long service leave, um, then that's going to trigger uh, an income maintenance period. Essentially, you know, they're going to count that that lump sum over a period of uh, of time to which the payment relates. What happens with age pension? Do they do the same? Yeah, so interestingly, and so the income maintenance period, it does apply to most social security payments. And it's basically a period of time where people who've received lump sum payments on termination, and that includes lump sum leave payments, they have those amounts maintained as ordinary income for a period of time. Uh, now, the age pension is not subject to an income maintenance period. It's one of the few payments um, not subject to that. So uh, a client receiving a lump sum payment upon retiring who then goes to claim the age pension that lump sum payment will not cause an income maintenance period to apply right okay that's interesting um, um, what about what about for allowances yeah so quite different so for someone um, who is retiring let's say before age pension age um, and they're going to claim uh, or let's say they've resigned or their employment's been terminated and they, they're now looking for other work and they want to claim job seeker payment, for example, um, then any payments upon termination lump sums uh, would cause an income maintenance period to apply generally. And so that would mean that a certain amount of income would be maintained for that period of the income maintenance period. 
Um, and probably the other um, the other option of going on leave prior to terminating employment for someone who's underage pension age, um, that work bonus that we talked about is is generally it's not going to be in place or available to people in that situation. Um, now, I suppose just finishing up with some other issues now. Um, although I've already talked about superannuation, I suppose um, there's a work test rule there in their opportunity as well, isn't it? So if I'm someone that uh, retiring late in the year and uh, maybe I'm over 67 already, uh, which is the new work test age, um, if I was to retire and take any payments um, prior to the end of the year, I'm not going to be able to contribute next year because I've retired, assuming I don't have any other work, I'm not going to satisfy that work, work test of 40 hours within 30 consecutive days. But um, thinking about it from a contribution perspective, if I took that lump sum payment as uh, salary and wages in the form of leave payments, um, does that mean that I potentially qualify under the work test in the next financial year and then have the ability to contribute for an extra year? Yeah, that's right. So. Um our view is that um, leave payments, uh, paid leave would count towards, um, or periods of paid leave would count, count towards the ability to meet the work test. So you're right that if I terminate work in that first financial year towards the end, I receive lump sum leave payments, um, I won't have met the work test in the following financial year. Um, now, in limited situations, I might be able to contribute under the work test exemption, but my total mm. super balance has got to be quite low for that. Yeah, yeah. But by taking, think, yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, but taking that period of leave through to the next financial year and ensuring that I've met the 40 hours in 30 day uh, work test, that then allows me to make voluntary contributions for that financial year. And that, that helps not just for salary sacrifice, for example, or personal tax deductible contributions, but I might also have other money that I want to make non-concessional contributions with, and it would allow me to, to also do that in the following financial year as well. Right. In that and second there, financial year. Yeah, yeah, wow. And is there any other, just to finish up, any other quirks that we need to be aware of? Yeah, probably just the only other difference or, or thing to call out would be... Um, the ability to accrue additional leave. So if I terminate employment, if I retire now and receive a lump sum leave payment, that uh, doesn't lead to me accruing any additional leave. Whereas if I uh, take my period of leave prior to retiring, then that's actually a continuation of my employment for that period of paid leave. And I continue to accrue additional annual and long service leave during that period of employment. So particularly for longer periods of leave, that could lead to additional leave accruing and additional pay overall by electing to go on leave rather than retire now and receive that lump sum. Yeah, wow. So I remember when uh, when my old man retired, I like to bring up my dad <laughs> at various points through these podcasts. I remember when he retired, I think I previously in one of the other podcasts I referred to him as dying. No, dad is not dead. Um, he was one of these people that uh, didn't believe in taking long service leave and, and he actually got to retirement with over a year's worth of long service leave uh, entitlement owing to him. So that's uh, if, if he was able to actually take that as leave, he would have accrued another four weeks worth of leave during that period that he was uh, 
not going to work because he was on long service leave, but effectively retired. Yeah, that's right. Wow, wow. Mm. All right, cool. I think that wraps it up, Tim. Thanks for your time. Not a problem. Thank you. See you, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.